This is the reading of God's word from Ecclesiastes 8, verses 1 through 8. Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. Maybe go to our God and ask for his reading on, blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Our Lord God, we thank you, Father, for your provision. We thank you, Father, that you are the one who gives true wisdom. That the wisdom of this world you do not give, that you give wisdom that your people's eyes, our eyes might be opened that we might freely receive the things that come from you. Father, we pray that we would not esteem the things of this world because uh, the things that are highly esteemed in this world, you despise. And Father, we pray that we would have values that align with yours. Father, we thank you that you have given us of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Father, if there are any here who do not know Jesus Christ as, as King, And Master and Lord, we pray, Father, that you would transform hearts. We pray, Father, that you would open eyes, that you take away hearts of stone and give hearts of flesh, that we might embrace the free offer of salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would would grant us illumination, that we would receive humbly the things that you give us in your word. We pray, Father that Jesus, your son, would be exalted, and that your servant would be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Children, how often is it that you interpret things as if the whole world revolved around you? I'll give you a simple example. Uh, Little children, whether it be three or five or seven years old, Imagine that their parents are having difficulties in marriage because of their own sinfulness and that they end up getting divorced. Sometimes children in that situation would conclude, my parents have separated because I misbehaved. You see how children start to come up with strange explanations because they think that the world revolves around them somehow. You realize that not only true for Children who are children physically, but it's also true for those of us who are children spiritually, that we somehow think that the world revolves around us, and that when things aren't right, or if we do something wrong, that somehow the world is affected, that we come up with theories, we come up with uh, uh, explanations for how things are, when in reality there's no truth to it, that in an infant, Uh, is crying, and he bumps his elbow on the edge of the crib. And that's exactly the moment that his mother comes in and flips on the light. So then this infant is thinking, wow, 
I, I bump my elbow against the crib. I turn on the light. So he tries to do that later on. It doesn't work. But you see, this is, this is where children start to uh, come up with imaginations and interpretations of things. But we should be submitting to God's word and his interpretation of the events in life. And here we have a bit of uh, what the author of Ecclesiastes is giving us regarding wisdom. How the effect that wisdom has on your life. And how wisdom brings us into humble submission, humble and joyful submission to our Lord and King Jesus. And since God has placed all authority in their position, if anyone has any authority, he received it from God. He, she received it from God. And then you think about wisdom and its effect on how we respond to our unknowns. And wisdom should tell us, I have no control over this situation. And I'm fully content with it because I worship and serve the one who has full control over that situation. And he reminds me of my weakness and my, my lack of understanding, my lack of knowledge. And that is okay. Because I cannot control it. I cannot control those around me. I cannot control uh, the things around me. I worship the one who controls all of those things. And that is sufficient for you and for me. We think about this book of Ecclesiastes. It's speaking about life under the sun, under the curse due to the fall. And in chapter 7, earlier, the author closed with verse 29, where he talks about how God made man upright. And that man went in search of many schemes. That, that God made man innocent. That Adam and Eve had the ability to sin and the ability not to sin. And their choice was sin and rebellion against God. And here, a lot of Ecclesiastes has to deal with this very matter of explaining reality. What is wisdom? How, how do we receive the things that, that come to us? How do we deal with all the problems that are the result of the fall? And how do we explain the monotony of life? How do we explain the grief of life? And the attempt to explain all of that by general revelation, the author's telling us it leads to failure, leads only to greater uh, grief and, and greater pain. When in fact, God reveals to us in his word how we ought to understand, how we ought to accept the difficulty that comes in your life and mine. So this passage, Ecclesiastes 8, verses 1 through 8, teaches us that true wisdom from above changes your complexion, turns your heart in humble submission, and trusts God with your life's troubles. True wisdom from above changes your complexion, turns your heart in humble submission, and trusts God with your life's troubles. We'll look at this in three points. The first, wisdom's effect on your life in verse 1. Second, wisdom's submission to authority in verses 2 through 5. And then third, wisdom's acceptance of life's unknowns and dependencies in verses 6 through 8. So the first point, wisdom's effect on your life in verse 1. Who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. Here, the, the quick uh, the short, the quick, uh, to the point summary of this is that godly wisdom has a definite effect on how you live your life. 
The effect of godly wisdom on your life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if there's godly wisdom in your life, that those, those traits are going to be the result. That you will not be hampered. You, you will not be uh, uh, squirming on the ground in unbelief and broken by every new news article or a, every topic that comes up on your news feed. Because we're going back to the word of God. We're, we're depending upon God. So that in, instead of fear and instead of doubt and instead of outrage or instead of unbelief that's fueling your life, rather, it should be faith that guides your life and that results in joy and peace and confidence in our God. There in verse 1, the first question, who is like the wise? Who is like the wise? And perhaps that question is really getting at who is like God? Are we, do we resemble God because God is the one who grants us his peace? God is the one who gives uh, men, women, and children. All of us are fools. We have no inherent knowledge. We have no inherent wisdom of our own. And we are unlike God because of our sin, because of our nature. But it's only those who have been given new life in Jesus Christ that have this wisdom. It's not one who is smarter or has more degrees or has street smarts. It's none of those things. It's what God gives. It's the one who has been given wisdom from above. One who is born again. One who, who is dead but is made alive in Christ. So that we might freely receive the things that he gives us. This is being born from above. And no man gives himself physical birth. So also no man, woman, or child gives himself spiritual birth. God does that. And the result then is wisdom. The result is wisdom. In verse 1 here, the, question, the second question, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? Now, it's not so much talking about who, who knows the perfect interpretation of the Word of God in every, in every verse and chapter, but rather it's how do you interpret the events of life? Through what lens do you read the events of life that have come up? It might be the painful providences that you face. It might be the tragic events that come up in your life, in your life, in the lives of those around you. It might be the national or the global catastrophes. Will you live your life according to your fears and be overtaken by anxiety and worry? You have to ask yourself, are we going to live by fear or are we going to live by faith? The actions, the actions that we will take will be different. If we're going to be fearful, we're going to live one way. If we're going to be faithful, we're going to live another. The world tells you there are all kinds of things that can kill you and harm you. And the Lord has given us his word to guide us so that we might not be overcome by fear. Are you going to live your life 
according to faith in Jesus Christ, in humble submission to your master, who knows what is best for your life. Regarding this interpretation of events, realize that Scripture is the lens by which we should interpret the events of life. It's not the events of life are the lens by which we should interpret the scriptures. That will be failure. That will be complete failure. No, we, we interpret the, the, the events that come up in our life through the scriptures that we read and we treasure and we meditate upon. Let me give you one such example. Acts chapter 4. The beginning stages of Christ's church. God had commissioned his Apostles, so Jesus commissioned his apostles. He, he ascended to heaven there in Acts chapter 1. And uh, they, the apostles there were teaching in the temple. And here the Jewish leaders are upset. They're very upset. And they told him, you must not teach in this name anymore. And he says, whether or not it's right, you be the judge. And then they threw them out. And then these apostles go and meet these other Christians. And they tell them what happened. And then you, you start to see scripture coming out. So they, they quote Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and devise this vain thing? So, so here they're saying, hey, these events, these Jewish leaders that rejected you because of the message you preached, you know what? This is Psalm 2. These are, these are the leaders of the world. These are the powerful sitting in office, and they rage at God. They rage at Jesus, who reigns supreme. And, and to that, they, they also say, wait a minute, there's also Psalm 146. God is the one who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. So, God, you are all powerful. This opposition, this is exactly what Jesus said would come. That Jesus is that son that we're told, kiss the son. That you not suffer wrath. All the events that happened, this opposition, this rejection, this despising of God, this is what God said would come. This is what Jesus said, hey, this will come. There will be hatred against him. And what, what did these Christians do then? They got together, they prayed. The place where they prayed was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they said, what they told us we must not do, we will continue to do, because Jesus said... Go on speaking of this message with boldness. Because they sloughed off the word of men. Hey, we're not going to care about that. We're going to hurt your feelings. We realize that. But you told us to be bold in our witness. We will continue it. And so also, as, as you think about the difficulties you face in your life, are you interpreting those events according to the scriptures that God has given you? The truth that you have. You need to think about your identity. Is your identity going to be in your wealth? Is your identity going to be in your earthly citizenship? Is your identity going to be in the color of your skin? Is your identity going to be in your ethnicity? Or is your identity going to be in Jesus Christ? Let me tell you something here. Jesus will never settle to be your second or your third or your fourth identity. Amen. He will never accept that. If you have anything, whatever that is, the nationality, your social economic class, 
Whatever it is, if you're putting that identity before your identity in Jesus Christ, it is failure. It is not Christianity anymore. You've made an idol of that identity. The third thing mentioned in verse 1. A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. What do you think about the effect of faith in Jesus Christ? This wisdom that comes from God, it must change us. Second Corinthians talks about how you are a new creation in Jesus Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. And it's not the same. Everything about our lives is turned upside down. There is, there is a new orientation. It's not as if the, the, uh, the sun revolved around the earth. Uh, before that time, this was called the, the Copernican Revolution. Ptolemy thought that, hey, the sun revolved around the earth, but it seems like the coordinates just never seemed to match up. And then when he started thinking about how, hey, it's actually the, the earth and the planets that revolve around the sun. And, hey, it seems like our mass seems to fit together much better. Well, when you're dead outside of Christ, it seems like the whole world is supposed to revolve around us, and it doesn't seem to match up. The math doesn't add up. But then when we start to think, wait a minute, Everything revolves around our Lord Jesus Christ, who's the ruler of all. Then it seems, then it seems like hey, everything seems to fit. The math is correct. All the science, all the biology, everything seems to fit in place. And then you see the effect on your life. You realize that your face, your face gives you away. That people in law enforcement have detailed studies about liars. And looking into someone's eyes, looking at their face, that their, their face gives away the deception that they attempt to say. Because it comes out in their body language. And you realize that, that a man's spirituality or lack thereof, that also comes out. That wisdom from above... Being made anew changes the hardness of your face. That the way that you and I respond in certain situations, that by faith in Jesus Christ, the old ways of dealing with things begin to change. That new ways come. Think about what God said to Cain. When Cain had evil intent in his heart, that God warned him. This is, this is God as counselor. Right? And, and we can never say that God, God fails as counselor. He gave, he gave right counsel. It's, it's sinful man who rejected it. That God said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? So God could see the anger in his heart. In his heart and the result is that his face was downcast. His face was darkened. And his, his face showed uh, uh, something that was wrong with his heart. And so also, by faith and confidence and hope in Jesus Christ, that shows up on your face. The love, the kindness, the compassion of Jesus Christ, that wisdom from above, spiritual wisdom, changes everything about us. It comes out of our pores. It's manifested in our lives. So this is the first point, wisdom's effect on your life. 
We also have wisdom submission to authority in verses 2 through 5. I say keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. So here, here is the quick summary. Godly wisdom is humble and joyfully submits to God's authority in your life. If you are wise, that God has given you wisdom, this results in humility, and it results in a joyful submission to God's authority in your life. And that God's authority is manifested uh, not always directly, but indirectly, because he puts authority in your life. So children, are you humble and submissive to your parents, and do you show them honor? Because if, if you have a rebellious heart to your parents, how is it possible to have a humble and receptive heart to God? I'm saying this is self-deception if we claim that all the authorities in our lives that we reject and despise, it would be self-deception to think that somehow we are honoring our God as our authority. The... Holy Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But outside of Christ, the carnal Holy Trinity is me, myself, and I. And we, we just don't have a good relationship with this submission. That there's something wrong with my knee that prevents me from bending it. And it's not because I have a knee problem. It's because I have a heart problem. Heart problem. Think about the question that Pharaoh asked God. Or he, he, maybe he asked, he was asking Moses, but really he was asking God. So here, Moses receives the horrible task. I'm, I'm sure he set his house in order before he went and told him, hey, you're going to let God's people go. And then here, Moses asks, uh, sorry, uh, Pharaoh asked this question, which God answered. And you see that you, the, the, the first half of the, the book of Exodus is the answer to that question. So he asked, so who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Well, here's God. Look at all these plagues. This is what God does. He answers the question. Oh, you want to know who I am? This is who I am. Let me show you how powerless you are. Let me show you how false all of your gods are. Let me show you who it is that I am. Do you think Pharaoh received the answer to his question? He did. He, en he ended up having to obey him. And he was shamed before all of his subjects. This carnal holy trinity, the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God, and it cannot submit to God, and is unable to do so. If you think about the, the problem of submission, it's a problem of nature, it's a problem of sin. Some people ask the question in these verses 1 through 5 in this chapter of Ecclesiastes, chapter 8. Is it talking about a human authority? A human ruler? Or is it talking about the heavenly ruler, the heavenly king? Well, perhaps we can interpret it this way. Verses 2 through 5. Absolutely, when it talks about 
the king's, keeping the king's command, those are absolute requirements when referring to God. But that they are relative requirements when thinking about man. So we talk about submission, that uh, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And men submit to your king, submit to your ruler as to the Lord, in the sense that hey, if, there's, if there's anything out of accord, that if God is commanding one thing and the magistrate is commanding another, completely different, contrary thing, that we must say, even as the apostle Peter did, we must obey God rather than men. Yet, you and I have to ask this question. How often are the magistrate's rules and the almighty God's rules contradictory? Maybe another way to ask this is, is your agreement with authority essential to your obedience? If you don't agree with the authority, are you required to submit to that authority? And I'm going to say, according to God and his rules, your, your agreement with human authority has nothing to do with your obedience. You, you can disagree with them, but you're still called to submit to them. Your agreement with them is completely different than their doing or their commanding what is contrary to God's word. Just because you don't agree with them doesn't mean you're exempt from obedience. Sinful man desires any kind of excuse they can get. You can think about it. i, I, I got to have my freedoms. I'm not going to be a sheep like other people. Whatever excuse you can come up with. Right? It's, not a, it's not a substitute for submission to God-given authority. Verse, verse 2 here. Keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Perhaps a better translation here is uh, because, not because of God's oath to him, but for the sake of your oath to God. For the sake of your oath to God. So in various nations, in various uh, commonwealths, perhaps you can understand that there is some oath of allegiance that is taken. So if, if there be a monarch, that a new monarch comes in and... Uh, People would swear some type of allegiance uh, under a flag, under a monarch, under a constitution, un under some type of, uh, of human rule. This happens uh, when a soldier uh, is commissioned that they take some oath. And perhaps for us in our society, this whole matter of submission and honor seems to be so foreign that uh, we don't really think twice about it. But we ought to understand that your submission to God requires your submission to man. It begins with the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. If you cannot submit to the most essential authority in your life, that is your parents, then you will inevitably fail in your submission to others. I've never met a person who was unsubmissive to his parents, yet was at the same time submissive to other authorities in their life. It just doesn't exist. It, it's, not, it's not possible. Even if you had wicked parents, right, there's still honor that you can show to them. You don't have to excuse or you don't have to uh, explain, explain away their sin. 
But there's still honor that God requires of us. So anyone who says, hey, I have no issue submitting to God. It's, it's man I have trouble submitting to. Well, then the answer is, well, then you've just proved that you have a submission problem to man. So what does Romans 13 say? We read earlier Romans 13, 1 and 2. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So we believe in the sovereignty of God. God is in control of all things, that he sets one in authority, he raises up one, and he brings down another. So anyone who is in, who is in authority is there because God placed them there, and that whoever resists them is resisting God. Keeping God's commands. So, I say keep the king's command. It's easy for us to think lightly about this. It's very easy for us to think lightly about this. As sinners, we have tendency to think about how boring, how mundane, how insignificant, how unimportant everyday obedience is to God and his word. Did you catch that? This everyday obedience is just so mundane. It's so boring. It's so useless. This is exactly how Satan wants you to think. Listen to this quote from Charles Bridges, the English minister. He says, The most trifling details of our everyday obedience become the stepping stones to our highest Christian privileges. The most trifling details of our everyday obedience become the stepping stones to our highest Christian privileges. Meaning that this everyday mundane, boring, unimportant obedience that God calls us to, that has everything to do with the blessing and the privileges that we experience. All of us want the blessing and the privilege. But how many of us are willing to say... It's not just the claim to faith. It's actually faith that's put into practice. That faith, the faith that you claim in Jesus Christ must affect the decisions that you make every day. It affects the attitudes that are manifested from your heart. And if you think about the privileges that we lack, everyone says, hey, I want privilege. I want want blessing. I want honor. But how many say, you know what? I'm willing to take that humble path of obedience, everyday obedience. A corollary to that rule is that the petty Christian privilege that you currently experience is due to the half-hearted and glossing over of the details of your everyday obedience. The petty privilege and blessing that you think you have is partly, well, partly is us viewing things incorrectly. We don't see the greatness of God's blessings currently in our lives. But partly it's because we took too lightly the everyday, common, mundane, boring obedience that God requires of us. Your true godliness, or lack thereof, is what shows when you think nobody is watching. You think no one's watching you, doing my own thing. You know, God's always watching. God's always watching. 
And in today's day and age, right, with cell phone cameras, well, someone else is probably watching. You go out the hallway, right, the camera in the hallway, someone else is watching. But you realize we as Christians don't need that. Our God is always watching. Jesus is the one who said, be ready for his return. He knows, actually there's a camera right there, sorry, it's, it's right there. It's not out in the hallway, there too, it's right up there. But Jesus is the one who says, be ready for his return, because he knows our nature. If he told us when he was coming back, then the church would just sit on their hands and stare at their navels waiting for him to come back. But he says, be ready all the time. And he gives stern warnings. Don't, don't be like the servant who starts getting drunk and beating the other servants. Rather, be ready for Jesus' return all the time. And that means living out faith by obedience. Verse 3. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Be not hasty to go from his presence. When you have a ruler invites you to a banquet. Understand that whatever plans you had for the rest of the day, it would be wise for you to cancel those plans. Because when the ruler invites you, if you suddenly say, hey, sorry, uh, I got other things, I, I got to take off and go. And you look at that response to these Eastern uh, kings, that could be a death sentence. Because you're saying, hey, you're not worth my time. I've been here 30 minutes. And, uh, you know, that's enough for me. So there's no pleasure. There's no honor in me being uh, your invited guest. I'm out of here. Don't do that. Be wise. That if the king, the ruler invites you, that you go when he says it's time for you to go. That this is important. Those of you who come from other cultures who who understand what despots are, that here, this very statement, for the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? There's no one who questions him. Oh, you know what? I don't like this guy. Take him out, take off his head. Are you serious? Be careful how you respond to that king. But you realize, someone greater than that Middle Eastern king is among us. Our God is the one who can throw body and soul into hell. And you and I must be very careful how we, we act, how we listen. And we're told to guard our footsteps when we go to the house of God. Amen. That he indeed is a great king and he is worthy of our honor, worthy of our worship, worthy of our obedience. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. Here, we think about what God commands us of. He who keeps a command will know no evil thing. So he's saying, do we want no trouble in our lives? Then we ought to obey the Lord. But perhaps some of you have seen by your experience, that when you obey God faithfully, you become a target of the enemy. And at times you might think, you know what? There's too much pressure. There's too much scrutiny. There's too much opposition. 
So let me just sit back down on the bench and quit scoring points or whatever, however you want to describe it. We realize that God is saying that there is no evil thing. That the opposition is, is so that you know that you're going the right way. And so for teachers, the teachers understand if they're giving assignments to the students and the students are complaining and groaning, then the teacher's conclusion is, hey, this is exactly what, this is exactly, this is a good assignment because this is what, this is what these children should be saying because this is hard work. And just as the horse needs to be driven, so also people need to be pushed on. And so also in our spiritual lives, that we need to be told that obeying the king's command, obeying God's command, that there's no evil in it. That though the enemy, Satan, would oppose us, God is with us. And that by obeying God, you avoid all kinds of pitfalls and snares to life. He spares us of those things. So this is wisdom's submission to authority. We have the third point. Wisdom's acceptance of life's unknowns and dependencies in verses 6 through 8. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be. For who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. So the quick summary of these verses is that your wisdom is manifested by how you respond to the unknowns in life and your powerlessness. When you realize that you are completely powerless, that you have no effect on others, that people aren't listening to what you're saying to them, they're not heeding your warnings, wisdom, or lack thereof, manifests how we respond. Ultimately, we realize the things that we say can often hurt people. And God, by His grace, allows our words positively to change people. But ultimately... It should drive us to prayer. It should drive us to prayer for others. Verse 6, For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. The wrong way to respond is that you and I attempt to control everything and everyone around us. So when we're hit with the unknowns, we're hit with our powerlessness, then we try to control people. No, you need to do what I want you to do. No, that's not the answer because people resist that. It's, trying, it's like trying to back a person into a corner. Young men, give me an example of this. You're trying to ask a young lady out on a date if you back her into a corner, it'd be very bad. I'd like to take you on a date uh, on Friday. No, sorry, I can't do it. What about Saturday? No, what about Monday? You see, this, this, is, this is dead end. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. That's called foolishness. That's backing her into a corner. That's trying to control a situation. You think about the troubles that lie heavy on you. It's not as if one who worships God lacks that trouble. 
That trouble is real in our lives. There's grief, there's sadness, there's fear, there's disappointment. All of these things are true. But we're told there is a time and a way for everything. Godly wisdom, by His Word and Spirit, He gives us right responses. That we need the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We need the guidance of God's Word as we meditate upon it regularly. That it should be in our lives. We should be reading it. We should be studying it. We should be meditating on God's Word. Raging against God and grumbling against Him and others is not the right response. And verse 7, For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? So it's here, it's saying that you and I know neither what nor how. We don't know what will happen. We don't know how it will happen. Rather, our comfort is that we know God who knows exactly when and how and he controls everything that will come to pass. And that should be enough for you and for me to say, I rest secured that I have no worries. I cannot control people. I cannot control situations. I cannot control the details of my life. But you know what? That's okay. This is, this is part of Christian maturity as you realize how powerless you are. And it doesn't offend you. Do you understand that? When we get hit by our own weakness. Hey, wait a minute. I, I look bad here. Well, good. This is part of our sanctification. We realize that we have sin in our lives that needs to be cleansed. It needs to be purified. It's humbling. It's painful. We all need to see it. We all need to understand it. And that the Lord is the one who reminds us. Apostle Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong. Because when I'm weak, then I come to realize how much it is that I depend upon him. It's not as if you depend upon him more when you realize it. No, you've always, you always have been that dependent on our God. The only difference is your realization of it. And the greater maturity that you have, the greater that you come to realize that dependence. Then he gives four examples of powerlessness. No man has power to retain the spirit. Have you ever wondered, what is, the, what is the proper definition of death? You hear about people who are in the hospital that you have the flat line. So they hit this flat line. And then they start this resuscitation process. And then the person comes back. Well, we could say, well, he was flatlined. And then these blips came, whatever, heartbeat. But isn't there something else going on? That, that when, when you have someone who's dead, it's, it's when their spirit departs from their body. Their spirit departs from their body and, and they're dead. That's the most essential definition of what death is. And God controls that. And it says in the next statement, or power over the day of death. Part of the difficulty of life, when you talk to some of these particularly young people, young males, there's often this whole slew of suicides in males 18 to 24, 18 to 30. And you ask, well, what? Why is that? Well, there's a sense of powerlessness that 
in the group where young men, of course, young men are the strong ones. So they're the strongest in, in, uh, in our spheres, right? The young men. But they feel powerless. But they say, oh, there's one thing I can do. There's one thing I control. That's the day of my death. You realize that the truth is they didn't control it. It's all part of God's plan. They wanted to feel like they were powerful, that they had influence. But realize that no man controls their own death. God controls it. He controls the separation of spirit from body. And when Christ returns, he will raise up our bodies as new. And that he will unite our spirits with our bodies once again. So God is the one who has power and control over the separation of the body from the spirit. He is the one who controls the day of your death. Every day of your life is written in his book before one of them came to be. So you, you want to? I want to add to the. Cha- no, no, no. There's no adding to the chapters of your life. That what God has given you, He has given you, and it's generous. And we can't know it. So don't do the soul thing and go to the witch of Endor. No, there's no. There's no reason to look. No reason to, to know hey, how many days, how many years am I going to live? Those, those are the secret things of God, and we should leave those things behind. We should trust that His provision for us is generous. We don't know the future, but we know Him who controls the future, and that should be sufficient for us. The secret things belong to God. The things that he's revealed, we ought to dwell upon. We ought to know. We ought to trust. There's no discharge in a time of war. If one is a soldier, and his term doesn't end for six years, then at year three, if there's a war, he should count on the fact that he's going to be going. He can't get out early. But you think about God's power. We think about the spiritual realm. God delivers you from the war that is waged within your soul. This is Romans chapter 7. Who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Jesus Christ our Lord. He sets us free from, the, from, the, from this war that wages within us. Because he gives us the victory. He defeats the old man, the old woman. And that wickedness, uh, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. This much is true. He who continues down that path of sin, he who sins is a slave to sin. Except, of course, if God is involved and he is the one who sets us free from the bondage to sin and to death. God is the one who sets men free. Who has control of this death? There is only one man. That Jesus is the one who said, No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord, and I'll raise it up again. That Jesus is the one who has power over death. None of us do. Are you trusting in Jesus Christ, this one who has power over life and death? You must realize that he alone is the one who controls all things. He controls our destiny. He controls everything that will come to pass. And that if we're trusting in him, we can say, I am powerless. I don't know what will happen. But you know what? Jesus, who laid down his life for sinners, trusting in him is all my comfort and my joy and my peace. That is all I need. He's taking care of my present problems 
that of my sin and my internal judgment. And if he's taking care of that, then I have no worry in my life. You have no worries in your lives. That this is wisdom, knowing the things that are important, following Jesus Christ, trusting in him, especially when we don't know what's going to happen. Trusting in him, especially when you feel powerless to do anything. That instead of grief and anxiety and pain, that there should be peace and joy and satisfaction. The food will come at the proper time. Our deliverance will come when Jesus sends it. And that should be enough for you and for me. May that be the means by which you interpret the events of life. That our King Jesus and Lord of all. He sits on his throne. He controls everything for his glory and for our good. And we go to our God together. In